Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week we had the, what I'll call the first big announcement from Apple. It sounds like we might get a few more as the year progresses, but we had Apple's first big uh, event, first big announcement where they launched a number of products including the iPhone SE 3, an AirPad, iPad Air 5, Max Studio, the Apple Studio Display, and uh, a few other announcements. Ross, were there any uh, big surprises for you from uh, the uh, slew of announcements we received? Uh, Sure. So in the run-up to talking about the Mac Studio, Apple gave a detailed description of its fastest champion new chip, the M1 Ultra, which is essentially two M1 Max chips fused uh, with a new interconnect they have developed. And it seemed as if they were building up to a new Mac Pro announcement, but instead they debuted this uh, desktop, the Mac Studio, which looks quite a bit like a a taller version of the Mac Mini. And a lot of that height is to accommodate uh, a cooling fan that uh, is needed to keep this monstrous chip uh, from uh, from reaching too high a a temperature. Uh, And so they said that they are going to continue on the path of releasing a new Mac Pro, which is somewhat unusual. Apple usually doesn't hint at upcoming announcements, but they said that they are going to continue that line uh, at, at a later date. And so to me, it raised a lot of questions about what does such a product include? What what defines a Mac Pro when all of this performance has been packed into this new product, the, the Mac Studio? But beyond that, it was really a look across the gamut at Apple's champion productivity platforms, iPhone, iPad, and Mac. With the iPhone, of course, they introduced the third generation iPhone SE, uh, which is the least expensive iPhone. It now has 5G, but not millimeter wave 5G, the kind favored by Verizon, uh, particularly in the US, but which has not been as popular outside the U.S., so that makes sense that they made that cut, came in a little higher than a lot of people were expecting at 429, not at 399. And there were some, couldn't really call them rumors, but there was a an idea floated by Bloomberg uh, reporter Mark Gurman that they should keep the old iPhone SE in the lineup at 199 and use it to replace the woefully out-of-date iPod Touch that they continue to sell, uh, but they uh, chose not to do that. Uh, With the iPad Air, it was a continuation of what we've seen from them, taking the technology in the iPad Pro and migrating it down. Uh, Increasingly, the iPad is getting these M1 processors from the Mac line, so it remains to be seen where they'll stop with that, but uh, it could be that in the future we will see A-series chips only in the iPhone uh, and not uh, not the iPad. And then, of course, uh, the big surprise, the big reveal, this uh, this M1 Ultra chip uh, and, uh, and the Mac Studio. 
So uh, that was clearly their uh, their performance play. And uh, they just really continue to execute brilliantly uh, on the silicon front. Uh, this was really just kind of a whipped cream uh, on, on the top of the Sunday, you know, that they've been building over the past year. We'll have to see what they do with the Mac Pro. It, it could come with uh, an M2 chip. A uh, lot of speculation that Apple will release uh, a full successor to the pioneering M1 chip uh, later this year. And uh, that could be on, on the high end, perhaps an M2 Ultra, the basis for uh, for a new Mac Pro. But uh, but all across the board, everything you know seemed to be very very well received, uh, even with the M1 Ultra configuration of the Mac Studio coming in at, I believe, around three thousand uh, dollars. That is, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, yeah, uh, or, or is it thirty nine ninety nine? It, it's it's really double the price of the M1 Max based uh, configuration. Uh, that that still seems to be a, a pretty good value. So not seeing the kinds of cuts some people think that Apple might make on the low end, but but definitely playing up the price performance curve on, on the high end professional line. And there were some surprises that we didn't, as as I think you alluded to there, Ross, that we didn't see the Mac Mini, but, uh, but uh, it sounds like we may see one later this year with uh, the rumored Apple M2 chip, so that will you know provide a whole slew of new announcements as they start to migrate the M2 into some of these uh, products perhaps later in the year. Uh, the Mac Pro, when it arrives, will signal the complete transition of the Mac line uh, from Intel to uh, Apple's own silicon. And uh, I wrote uh, earlier this week that uh, it succeeded uh, everyone's expectations, uh, perhaps including Apple's, uh, based on the initial performance that they were able to get with the M1, which quickly became their entry-level chip in the line. But it really has rewritten the agenda of of, of the processor roadmaps for many of the the PC players. Uh, At Mobile World Congress, Lenovo introduced the ThinkPad uh, X, uh, uh, a new configuration of of the ThinkPad, a 13-inch model that includes the latest Qualcomm chip for PCs. And, uh, you know, we're we're expecting to see some performance increases there. This will be the first, they're calling it the first commercial laptop uh, released on the ARM architecture for Windows. But Nobody is expecting it to compete uh, in terms of uh, price performance with with what we're seeing from Apple. The other big announcement that we saw come out this week, or one of the big announcements that we saw this week, actually came from the White House here in Washington, D.C. They announced an executive order on digital assets, ultimately on, uh, on crypto assets and and everything that uh, you know that fits in to uh, to that space, and obviously there's been a lot happening in digital assets, not just on the cryptocurrency front, but also when it comes to NFTs and, and other areas. Uh, President Biden signed the executive order on Wednesday, 
And it, it was really just a, a broad proclamation that the government is going to uh, a broadly examine the benefits and risks of, of cryptocurrencies and ensure that they are protecting consumers, uh, ensuring financial stability, uh, ensuring innovation and U.S. competitiveness, uh, financial inclusion was included uh, as part of that. Um, just a broad commitment to look at cryptocurrencies across all agencies. Uh, Gary Gensler tweeted out that uh, he, he said, quote, I look forward to collaborating with colleagues across the government to achieve important public policy goals, protecting investors and consumers, guarding against illicit activity and helping ensure financial stability. So uh, the the SEC has been very active in researching and and getting up to speed on cryptocurrencies, and obviously Gary Gensler literally wrote the uh, the the course on blockchain and and taught the course on blockchain, so understands cryptocurrencies well. Um, they have uh, you know have some ongoing litigation in place right now, but haven't really settled on their their approach. So this was a, a broad call from the White House. Some even considered it uh, akin to the uh, 1990s when the government kind of woke up to the commercial possibilities of the internet. I don't know if it, if I would call it quite the watershed moment that we saw at, at that point in, in the 1990s. Uh, but if you were in the Web3 space, then this was definitely a, a big, Acknowledgement coming out of uh, Washington that um, that they are going to support innovation and also you know look at it in a holistic way. So uh, maybe we'll see more there, but it certainly didn't close the door to innovation in the crypto space. No, not not at all. And and beyond the consumer protection kinds of uh, issues that you allude to, Sean. There was the pretty specific, I thought, mandate of evaluating the case for the digital dollar, uh, which would represent, uh, you know, far greater uh, government participation, Treasury Department participation than uh, than we've certainly seen up to this date, and a unique way that uh, that the government would uh, potentially play a what I think would be a very disruptive role. Uh, Sean, do you think any of this has been predicated or moved forward by a lot of the discussion around crypto in light of the Russia sanctions and concerns about how crypto could provide a loophole potentially for Russia to get around many of the sanctions, many of the actions by a lot of the the banking interests with uh, J.P. Morgan, Chase, and Goldman pulling out of Russia, for example, this week. Yeah, I think that's a, a a good point. I don't know that it was completely motivated by everything that was happening there. I, I think there is broad concern around the um, you know scams that are run within the the crypto environment and and obviously protecting the consumers. So you you want the SEC to be involved to protect investors. You want the FTC and, and DOJ to be involved as they you know seek to 
protect consumers. And you, you ultimately want the uh, Treasury Department to, to play a central role, especially as we look at things like a, a stable coin or di- digital version of, of a dollar. Um, there had been reports that there was some division between White House and, and Treasury officials, and that's delayed rolling out uh, p- policy more broadly. But um, I, I think definitely the invasion of Ukraine ha- has brought cryptocurrencies more into the to the spotlight, and we we saw um, cryptocurrencies like the financial markets have had a very volatile couple of weeks here as they've tried to interpret some of the uh, the global events that have have taken place, and you you've also seen uh, some Ukrainians come out and, and say how important it was that they had crypto assets that they could access as they as they uh, left Ukraine when they weren't able to get a hold of hard currency from ATM machines and other things like that. So I think that's also a, a very interesting um, you know development that it it helped Ukrainians who were fleeing the war, but also uh, probably helps Russians who are trying to avoid detection, move assets around. Uh, you know, a big piece of this too, I think, is uh, what we see with uh, with NFTs. We saw this week that uh, after peaking at close to $250 million in February, daily trading volumes of NFTs on OpenSea, which is a major NFT platform, has, has fallen 80%, averaging about $50 million in March with... Uh, Prices down for for some assets quite significantly. Uh, to me, what's really interesting in this space right now is companies that are and organizations that are using NFTs to provide access to offline uh, offline services. So, using NFTs to get access to conferences or using NFTs to get access to to specific merchandise. I think there's some really interesting opportunities for organizations who want to use NFTs to to do offline uh, activities, not just the the you know the digital asset or the the digital piece of it. So some interesting things surely to come. And uh, this week we got a firm commitment that the uh, U.S. government will be firmly in, involved in uh, how that develops. In uh, our final story of the week, Google is finally rolling out emoji reactions for Google Messages. So you'll be able to send the emojis that you send in iMessage today through uh, through Google Message. Uh, but Ross, that wasn't the only announcement that uh, we saw as it relates to some of the, the um, Android updates that we got this week. No, it was a pretty actually comprehensive uh, upgrade package or feature drop as Google has been calling them. And uh, significant, I think that it is coming probably a few months before Google IO, which is their big annual developer conference uh, typically held in June. Uh, in addition to, well, first let me chat a bit about the this uh, this little emoji uh, reaction war, which is that it reminds me a little bit of the 
browser wars uh, of, of the 90s, uh, now, now that you brought up the, the 90s a bit, Sean, uh, where there were features on websites that you couldn't access if you didn't have the right browser. And similarly, if you are, but I, but I think this is even on a more personal level because the way it works is if you're communicating, if you're on an iPhone and you're communicating with other Apple devices, sending messages such as uh, another iPhone, iPad, uh, the messages app on the Mac, uh, you, uh, you you have access to a, a set of enhanced features that, uh, that, that Apple has built in. And if you are accessing the chat from a, a non Apple platform such as uh, Android, you show up in a green bubble, uh, which sort of can be stigmatizing if uh, if everybody else is in a in in the blue bubble that uh, designates a, an, an Apple user, and and there has been functionality that you haven't had access to, uh, such as the ability to add uh, emoji reactions, and the Google Messages app and, and other text messaging apps uh, would do a pretty poor job of accommodating these. So let's say you know, I sent a message that uh, out to some friends that says uh, Techspansive is great uh, and they're all green bubble people. Uh, I, I'm sorry, they're all uh, uh, iOS users. They could click like on that message. And if I'm an Android user, I would see about you know five or six, maybe more uh, separate messages that so-and-so liked the message and this one responded with i love that message so uh so really uh slows down the the rhythm of the chat and google has been accusing apple of bullying android users because if you're among a group of friends and you're the green bubble uh there can be some peer pressure to uh to switch uh, to an iphone uh, there, there are other things such as the ability to play games uh, within iMessage that, of course, you also can't access uh, if you're an Android user. But in terms of the basic communication functionality, that has really been uh, the source of, of some stigma. Uh, Google has been urging Apple to embrace a standard called RCS, which would provide more of these capabilities uh, to, to a broad range of cross-platform devices. Uh, but there has been evidence that uh, Apple is uh, being exclusionary here on purpose and to preserve a competitive advantage. The, uh, the, there was a host of other features, though, as, as you mentioned, Sean. Uh, many of them focus, for example, around accessibility, uh, but which have broader relevance. So, for example, uh, Google's uh, Live Transcribe app, uh, which does uh, speech-to-text, will now be able to work uh, offline. As, uh, as we know, speech-to-text has really made incredible strides over the past few years. I know we've talked about uh, the app and service Otter. Uh, which does a, a great job. Uh, I've done some some work for that company in the past as, uh, as a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, but one of its disadvantages is uh, you have to use it uh, online. You have to be connected uh, in order to get the transcription going. Uh, you can upload the the video at, at a I guess when you're no you got to be you got to be online for pretty much everything. Uh, so this live transcribe app will uh, allow you to do 
this, uh, this level of transcription even without uh, an internet connection. Uh, they're also adding a lot of features to Gboard uh, to add uh, spell checking functionality and being smarter about the, uh, the contents of the clipboard, automatically highlighting information such as addresses and phone numbers and, and things like that. Uh, they are allowing, they're partnering with uh, an app called Park Mobile uh, to allow you to pay for uh, parking uh, in, in cities such as here in New York uh, using the, uh, the Google Assistant. Uh, there'll be improvements to the Google TV app. So, so this really reminds me of, of, a, of an Apple-like update in terms of it touching a lot of different facets of the experience and uh, being related to a lot of things that live outside what we once thought of as the core operating system experience, focusing a lot on, on a lot of the applications that are, uh, are optional uh, products, but uh, but be again being rolled into Android. So we'll have to see what happens uh, in uh, at, at WWDC uh, whether uh, Google will dive deeper into changes coming to Android 13 uh, if it focuses more on developer related features as opposed to many of these end user related features that we're seeing, or if perhaps uh, Android won't have that large a role to play at WWDC, and they focus on uh, other things that they're doing, which they, they have a lot in the past uh, around areas such as uh, AI and quantum computing, uh, which, uh, for example, they focused on quite a bit last year. But, uh, but overall, a, uh, a pretty significant upgrade and one that will uh, do much to alleviate some of the the suffering uh, in, in cross-platform text message chats. The uh, What we see them doing with Live Transcribe and arguably their partnership with Park Mobile, to me, highlights the, the great um, growth that we've seen with Google Assist and, and the improvements that they've been able to develop with Google Assist to see some of those integrations coming in. So I think when we get to the developer conference that will definitely see more around the capabilities of voice. I really like that idea of being able to park and pay for parking with simply my voice because often I'm parking in DC and I'm walking to a meeting and today I have to stop, I have to type in the, the code, but if I could simply say, hey, pay for two hours of parking in area 2412 or whatever it is, uh, that that would be a... Uh, just a small little time saver. But I, I think more broadly, it shows their ambitions for Google, Google Assist, uh, Google Assistant, and everything that they've done with Google Assistant. And I think we'll see a lot more coming there, these the small, subtle partnerships. Yeah, that's a good point, Sean. And also, it fits right into the core Google Assistant reminders functionality, right? Because you want it to automatically remind you when there's 10 minutes left on the meter. But uh, even with the app, uh, in, in considering how easy it is to get spoiled, uh, the app was a massive upgrade around the ridiculous system uh, that we had between the coins and uh, what we may be moving to where <laughs> you had to print out 
this little slip, go back to your car, put it on the dashboard. Uh, that was uh, not a, a good user experience, as they say. So uh, while I have embraced the app, uh, to your point, this makes things uh, even easier. Uh, in, regarding Google Assistant in general, uh, I wouldn't. I, I think. I think you. You may be uh, right in terms of uh, more focus on it at uh, I/O because, uh, unlike Amazon, which has introduced an annual event focused exclusively on Alexa development. On the other hand, they don't really have a lot to say in terms of uh, other other operating systems other than uh, what they do on tablets. Uh, Google really has not had that kind of dedicated developer event uh, just for the uh, assistant. So uh, this, this will really enable them to uh, focus, focus more on, on that key piece of, uh, of the Android experience. And that's a good place to wrap up this week's episode of Techspansive. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Sean Duberbeck. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Duberbeck. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening.